and welcome to a new episode of Global Dot Global Dot Science. I forgot the name for a moment. Um, Already? <laughs> well, it hasn't even been a minute. So. It's been a long week, um, and it's only Wednesday, by the way. Uh, so anyways, uh, um, uh, our podcast, uh, as you may know by now, is focused on uh, science education and science communication. And um, uh, today we're going to have uh, a slightly different type of guest because it's going to be a student. But before we get to our guest, let's talk about the student experiences, love, what has been your student experience going from high school to college and beyond? Well, maybe we should introduce ourselves too. So, oh, that's a good point. I forgot about that part. That's been a I'm long Fabio week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am Fabio Battistuzzi, and I'm uh, the co host of Global Science along with Lev Hordisky, also a co host. So, you were asking about my student experience. How far back do you want to go? Well, Let's not go too far back, otherwise we're going to be here forever. So let's start true. from transitions from high school to college. <laughs> ah, transitions from high school to college. So uh, what I remember from being in high school was that there was a really set science track that you could take. You did no science your freshman year, then you did biology, then you did chemistry, and then you did physics. And my parents wanted me to have uh, four years of science experience. So I kind of got pushed ahead to do biology my freshman year, then chemistry, then physics. And so I was always a year ahead and it always screwed up my uh, high school schedule. And then there were no more sciences left. And I remember that I was not supposed to take earth science because that was supposed to be for dummies. Uh, so, I, so I'm amused that I then became a geologist, but then I took AP biology, which it turns out I really liked a whole lot more than like physics and chemistry, which I was supposed to like, so I was supposed to do astrophysics. But then transitioning to college, it was pretty much all science all the time. And I was able to get really in depth into the topics that I really liked but it was a bit of a difficult transition because I think I started off on the astrophysics track and I think I got my first physics exam back, which I didn't know how to study for. And it was a 30%. And I thought I was going to fail out of college. Um, and I was so distraught. And it took me almost a year to learn what a curve was and that 30% was good if everyone else got 10%. Did you feel any better? I had to wait until I was a faculty to learn what a curve was. So, <laughs> so how did it work in Italy? So, what was your experience? Because I did the very traditional, some whatever science I could get in high school, and then specialized in science in college. Finding out I didn't like this field of science, but then discovering that the geology department had free field trips, and then switch, switching majors so I could go on the free field trips. That is a very good reason to switch. Um, in Italy, the situation is different, at least when I was a student, things have somewhat changed now, but um, high school is more of a kind of a liberal arts type of uh, education. So we have the sciences alongside with, you know, non-science, the humanities basically, and the arts. Um, the high school that I chose was very um, balanced between the sciences and the humanities. And we actually had all the three types of sciences, the physics, the chemistry, and the biology all the time together. 
Uh, and so we kind of got this sort of exposure. And then when I uh, decided that I was going to transition into a scientific field in, uh, um, in college, that's when I got my in-depth uh, science education because I was in uh, um, the Department of Biology. And at that point, there uh, in Italy, there are no more um, you know, what in the US are called the gen eds, the general education type of classes, you go full blown into the sciences and that's all you do. There are no history, no arts, no literature, nothing of that sort it is all sciences all the time. So it was kind of a strong impact going from, you know, a balanced high school uh, type of education into the, into the sciences. It was fun, but it was intense. And did you ever really interact with faculty? Because I remember when I was doing my sciences, my science education, I never did any office. I think the first office hours I went to were my senior, my second semester senior year, where I couldn't figure out this uh, project we were doing on hurricane probabilities. And I had to talk to the professor. And then I kind of felt stupider after the uh, office hours than when I went in. And, but I never really wanted to go to the professors because I was kind of afraid of talking to them that I would just reveal how stupid I was. And, and so when I went to graduate school, I was surprised that students would come to the office hours for help with homework and that they, a lot of them were shy, um, but well, especially the ones right before, uh, the sessions right before the exam, that's when they would all show up. Like, what was I supposed to have learned in the last uh, five weeks? Um, but it just, the support was there. I just didn't, never really took advantage of it. And I probably struggled more than I would have if I had asked for that help. I think sometimes I went to TAs and, and I also felt stupid after doing that. I think in part of the issue is that uh, as scientists, we need to accept that it's okay to feel stupid. It's normal because we all do, because we all there are so many things that we don't know that, yeah, we're going to feel stupid all the time and that's fine. Uh, funny thing is that there are a lot of professors, I suspect most of them that also feel stupid all the time. And so that's okay. It's okay for a student to feel like that. Um, but no, I never really interacted with my professors at the time because the, the Italian system was different. Uh, professors are up there, students are down there. We are really not um, supposed to talk to the professor. We're supposed to figure things out uh, on our own. But now that I'm a faculty in the US, that's, I, I always tell my students, please come and talk to me. I'm lonely and bored in my office. So please come and talk to me. <laughs> I say the same thing and uh, not many take me up on that offer. <laughs> but today we do have a student who has taken us up on the offer to talk to us. And uh, so we'll introduce our guest today, Ms. Nikita Beck, who is a marine biology major at the University of the Virgin Islands with uh, a minoring in data science, who is coincidentally working with me on astronomy education and outreach programs for kids and tourists. So uh, welcome to the show, Nikita. And uh, you are our first student guest. So, uh, I don't know what you're going to say. We're just used to talking to professors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing because all teachers really do say they're bored and they're lonely in their offices. <laughs> I just found that really funny. <laughs> <laughs> we want to help students, but they often don't come to us for help. 
yeah. So before we started recording, you were telling us, you're starting to tell us, I said, let's save it for the show, that you've had an interesting pathway from uh, 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 high school into college. And you are in the sciences and you stayed in the sciences, which often for a lot of students is hard to do. So uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that pathway? Well, actually, it started long ago when I was like a child. Um, I live on an island. I grew up on an island. So I've always been in really close proximity to the ocean. Um, you can take a nice walk from my house to a beach. And so uh, there's a distinct memory of my parents. Of, like we're at a beach one day and they had turned their back and they turned back around and I was like halfway into the ocean. Like as like a toddler. <laughs> so. <laughs> so how many heart attacks have you given them since then? Um, uh, not much. I've actually have usually been a pretty good kid, pretty quiet. I've been stubborn. But aside from that, I'm a good kid for the most part. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, so, yeah, one. but. Yeah, yeah, but I think my science journey truly started in about second grade in that we had a field trip to the East End Marine Park on St. Croix, which is the north tip of the island. It's just all a protected area. And we were walking along it with who was Mr. Freshetti, that's his name. And I think he still works there because I shadowed him senior year of high school. And we were just walking along the beach and he was showing us all this stuff and talking about it and like describing it. And I thought that was so cool. <laughs> and I distinctly remember like a man of war, a Portuguese man of war had washed up on shore and we're oh, just dear. staring at this like bright purple thing. And he's like, don't touch it, it can kill you. <laughs> and like, we understood that, but it was still cool. <laughs> and so like that really stuck with the music kid. And then I remember our library at our school had these like, four books in a series about different marine creatures like jellyfish and sponges and sea stars and sharks and they also had whales and I read them like a lot and I usually can't reread books but I read them a lot so chickens so <laughs> yes that's a factor of uh, island life that I uh, quite miss uh, hearing chickens in the background of all my video conference calls yep <laughs> so yeah I think that's where it really started and then from there it always was, I'm gonna become a marine biologist. And so we're going off, it just wasn't a question anymore. And so then going into high school, I my high school is very unique in that it originally was a homeschool that sort of grew into a traditional high school because more people wanted to go. And so it was like very small. Like I think the most people that was in high school when I was there was like 30 people even then, but- oh, wow. Okay, yeah, it's different. really small, but it's like a pre-K to high school. So you had like mm -hmm. all the age ranges like interacting with each other. And so the whole philosophy of the classes is that it was the classes provided either what the majority needed or what the graduating class needed. And so, you know, there sort of been two, eventually became two tracks, like the more advanced classes and then, like, you know, the more, not necessarily remedial, but like the average normal people and then like people who had higher classes at some point. And I got put into the more advanced classes. So I was taking like honors, yeah, honors composition. I was taking, I had to, at some point I became the minority. 
So we were in like the quote unquote normal classes where we had to do extra work because for the most part we were more advanced. But, you know, one of the things that my school had every year was career week. And during that week, they would have professionals from the island come in and uh, talk to us for like about an hour or two in the afternoon just talking about what she expectations of professional world, um, do's and don'ts for like interviews, sort of what to expect when you go out in the real world. And then the last two days of that week, we would shadow uh, members of the people who work in fields are interested in. And in my one year, I put engineering and I was sent to work with WAPA. So WAPA and, is, oh, yeah. uh, for those outside the islands, so <laughs> the Virgin Islands are three major islands, uh, St. Thomas and St. John in the north, which I learned when I was there, it's not St. John's, it's St. John and St. Croix way to the south. And the tourist boats always go up to St. Thomas. And I know, uh, at least from WAPA, that is, uh, what does it stand for? Water and Power Authority. Yes, I know it always shows up on the uh, Facebook page when the uh, power goes out, like not again. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we were sent to work with WAPA, but with the, the waste, no, I said WAPA, I meant waste management. Wow, I messed that up. But yeah, we worked with waste management. And in particular, and I will never forget the smell of the wet waste. That is a smell that does not leave you. And that was junior year of high school. I'm now in my fifth year of college. And I will never forget the sight and smell of that. And that's when you decided to not go into waste management. Yeah, yeah, that exact, just like looking, leaning over and just a big bat of wet waste. That just, that just sticks with you. <laughs> but it was cool because they actually showed us like how it got treated and how you said like, oh, you see all this wet, disgusting stuff over there. So this little pipe, like down the line, there's the clear water going into the ocean. It's like, they purify it. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Not the stinky part, but like the, the, the clean water was cool. And then in my senior year of high school, I was finally, after four years, put with the Weston Marine Park. And it was just really sort of a full circle moment going from second grade touring along Eastern Green Park to in my senior year of high school right before I went out to college it was like a month or two before I graduated to actually work alongside the very man who's the reason why I got interested into it many years ago and I did I did tell him about it and he was like he was very touched and I was like yeah yeah like you do have an impact and I think that's something that you don't see much in science that direct like you talking to me as a kid has an impact on me now so yeah, that's up to high school. And then in college, I'm on, I'm from the island of St. Croix. And so from marine biology, you have to, at some point you have to move to St. Thomas because that's where a lot of the field courses are. So I just decided to just go to St. Thomas from the get-go because it takes me a while to get used to an area and make friends. So I just went there from the get-go. Let's do it. I was there for two weeks and then Hurricane Irma hit. <laughs> And I was just like, oh, and I will say, I lived in the really nice dorms, and my one dorm was the one that was untouched. I could have still stayed there, but I couldn't. I was so sad. Wow. So, yeah. So, you know, I was just sitting at my grandparents' house for the time being, and then I got back onto St. Croix 
riding on a little like speedboat from went from St. Thomas to St. John and then back to St. Croix. It's about a four, five hour boat ride. And like we were very wet. And then we got into St. Croix. And then three days after getting on St. Croix, Maria hit. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> and so then, you know, classes got delayed even more. And I remember walking up to my grandmother's house after Maria hit to my aunt and to check on them. And one of my cousins <laughs> has like looking at me and joked, like, you know, like I have to go to Miami, like two weeks for a conference. You you stay right here on this island. <laughs> yeah so you know obviously there were some delays in getting back but eventually I did we did go back to in-person classes and they were a little off because the RT park research and technology park on St. Croix to get extensive damage so that's where all of the sciences were so obviously they had to move back onto the main campus and so a lot of professors were talking about how each of them had like their own big office to themselves and now you would have like five people like squished in one room yeah. and everyone had like their own little closet to themselves <laughs> or and then um how a lot of documents have gotten damaged from the storms and the rain and yeah it sucked for a bit but you know I Actually, I think talking with you, I was saying earlier, how you didn't really talk to your professor as much. I think I I didn't talk to them in office hours as much, but I was talking to them before and after class because that's just more so what I do. Because I'm like an early person, usually tend to get to class and do about 10 to 20 minutes before class, just by happenstance. But one person who I spent a lot of time in their office is my academic advisor, because one of the requirements for marine biology at UVI was that you needed a, a set approved course sequence. It needs to be approved by your advisor. And so I saw that like in my second semester, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this now. And it's so, like, we did it in like an afternoon. And it was like one of the best things ever because it really, because a lot at UVI, a lot of the courses are very sequential. So it's like certain courses in certain years on certain semesters. So like ichthyology, aquatic biology, oceanography. But like, so these courses are like semester locked. Like you had to get the fall semester of an odd year or spring semester of an even year. I'll get back to that. <laughs> I'll get back to that. So I, had it all sequenced out. So it was really helpful. And every time it came time to register for courses, the first day registration opened, I would just, you know, email professor like, hey, these are my courses. I'm going to register. And she's like, okay, cool. Your schedule works out. Here's your pin. I'm registered the first day. First day registration opens, just awesome. Less stress. Don't have to fight for a space. And um, again, so we're talking about this earlier, but UVI is very on hands with the sciences and like every science course needs to have a lab and like every science course has a lab and that if you were to go abroad your credit wouldn't cross over if that science course didn't have a lab because you they require the hands-on experience for UBI courses and so you know we had god I forgot the term but science 100 
every week you're going out in the field to get a some infield science experience. So I remember one year, well, in one lab, we went out to the mangroves and did the, like actually ID different trees as you walked around. And then nice. looking at, um, I think, can we look at sediment samples in there? I think so. Like we like look, look just an analyze the sediments, not necessarily like do a really deep breakdown of it. Or we would go to, did we go Salt River? I don't think we went Salt River. Oh. But yeah, they always really made sure that we went onto the field at some point, if we can, to definitely get the, to see how science actually works in the motion. And then in my sophomore year, I didn't want to go back to St. Thomas. So <laughs> um, I don't know if I can, well, I, yeah, I didn't want to go back to the St. Thomas campus. So I saw I was eligible to go abroad. So I did. So I went to California and <laughs> So here, that, on the, here on the main line, that wouldn't be considered very abroad, but I guess it would be depending on what part of the country you're from. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I'm in a study abroad program, so as far as you know, it's abroad. And I, I went to California State University, Monterey Bay, and I loved it. Um, it's a, it's, so I've always gone to small schools, obviously, and Monterey, I think technically is a medium-sized school, I think technically, but it definitely has that small school feel to it in that, you know, I surprisingly got comfortable, you know, on a complete other side of the hemisphere as far as I'm concerned pretty quickly. And again, because they have so many different types of groups that you, for a lot of interests or different parts of identity, you can find your older group of people pretty quickly, as well as it's a very, I went obviously with a science program. And so the science course is very hands-on. And one of my, my first course, my first class, on my first day of school, we were grouped, just like talk to each other on the first day of class. And I talked to a girl and again, first day of class, first time being away from my parents ever, I had cried because I was getting used to it. And she started crying because she had a similar situation. And so we just sort of bonded over that. And so she sort of came like my big sister for the year I was there and I just really appreciated it. And so I sort of slowly but surely built my little friend support group from my time on Monterey. And then, um, yeah, so I think, so with my particular course, it was really cool. It was a geology hydrology course. And in geology, you would actually go out into the many areas of California and actually IDing the types of, the products of, what's the word, tectonic movement and actually seeing like how the sediment layers are actually folding and bending because of continental tectonic movement. And then I think going to Monterey definitely made me re- reevaluate how I look at science and I interact with it. And that definitely not um, interacting with science in a different area, a different biome, different biome from like the tropics to a very cold part of the world or the country and very foggy and gray. Relatively <laughs> speaking, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no. Monterey, California is weird. It is a, also on the first day, there's a bubble around Monterey. Nothing comes in, nothing comes out. And it is true. It's like, you're driving 
you're driving into to Monterey from a distance and you just see a gray wall. And it's like, once you see that gray wall, you know that's Monterey. Like, it is a, I have legit seen, like from a two hour drive, I've experienced a 20 degree drop going into Monterey, okay? It is cold and foggy. I won't argue with you on the fog, but I currently live in Michigan and we are in the middle of winter. So trust me on the cold, we may have a different opinion. <laughs> but, well, I guess, I'm, yeah. I'm, but I'm curious though, because you've been, uh, you know, you've been describing your path, which is obviously quite unique in the terms of challenges and, and also the choices that you made. So when mm -hmm. you transitions, uh, transitioned into the California system for that one year, um, did you feel any difference in the way uh, the teachers and the faculty related to the students or was it similar between the UVI and the California system? I definitely think the the professors at Monterey were way chiller or calmer, like not calmer, but like in the Virgin Islands culture, this is very not necessarily strict, but it's like very much intrinsic. You know, you're for people older than you as Mr. Miss, mm. Sir, Ma'am. You know, your teachers are Miss, your professors are Doctor, Professor. And in Monterey, it wasn't like that. <laughs> like it was really common to refer to teachers by first name without a title, just, just Doug. Yep. Like one of the people, one of the professors I worked with was Dr. Doug Smith and a lot of people just call him Doug. And I couldn't do that. I also had to call him like Mr. Smith, professor, doctor. Cause for me, it's like, you know, you worked hard for that title. I'm gonna to refer to you as such with others. Like, yeah, that's Sarah, that's, that that was a huge culture shock to me. That was really hard to do. And, and I did have and a professor. I can, I can understand that because it's exactly the same thing in Italy. In Italy, there is, mm -hmm. you know, you always, it's professor XYZ. Um, and then when I came here to the US, I realized that that wasn't the case. And I had a very hard time adjusting to it. And I, I actually ended up not doing it in some cases. So there are still some of my advisors, uh, uh, I still refer to them as, doctor, you know, whatever. It's just that I, I can't make that transition for some reason. So I understand. What were some of the biggest challenges in dealing with the uh, hurricanes, uh, both uh, during the storms and after? Because I know uh, definitely there, ha having lived there for a year, I still see that there's uh, quite a bit of work that needs to be done to recover. Um, so what were some of the immediate impacts? Because that makes, you already followed a path that was uh, quite unique and the hurricanes and now the pandemic as well have added extra challenges that I know, especially in the physics program when we were, when we were talking about our students and uh, giving them opportunities, we had to acknowledge that they've gone through two or three major disasters in the span of a single undergraduate career, which is, uh, for most people, quite unfathomable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'm very lucky that none of the none of none of that not my house or the houses of the people in my family were severely damaged, so we didn't necessarily have that to deal with. Um, but I think some of the well, for a lot of people, we didn't really well for my house, we didn't have power until around Thanksgiving Day. 
and the storms hit in like August, September. And with my grandfather's house, he didn't have power until Christmas Eve. And they got hit in September, then August. So, you know, and even then they're saying who didn't get power until the next May. So definitely just like, you know, the time it took to rebuild the power grid. And, you know, our power grid has always been unstable. Like for the past few days, you've had a power outage like every day. Yeah, I think I saw uh, something on the Facebook page. Yeah. So at this point, you're like, oh, okay, this is just a forced time away from my computer. But yeah, at some point you get used to it, which is sad. And you just learn to like buy surge protectors for all your appliances. But um, I think another thing is just sort of like, I think like a degree of uncertainty because there was, there's just this always prevailing fear of what if we get another one because we probably can't handle it. <laughs> and, you know, especially because a lot of the other islands in the territory in the Caribbean sense have gotten their own category five and even then some. And I think it was the BBIs who had, no, whoever got, I can't remember who got Dorian and it stayed over them for a couple, for like a while, which is very unusual. And so there's always like that anxiety going into every hurricane season. It's like, dear God, I hope we don't get another one because we may not be able to come back from it. Mm-hmm. And I think during the recovery, the initial recovery period, I, I don't know. Oh, no, one thing I did realize after, or like when I was in Monterey, is that a lot of people have undiagnosed PTSD and that me watching a NASA presentation maybe because I might be one of them and I still haven't looked into that yet and I probably should because again it is a horrible thing to be through and just like all the anxieties that come with it mm-hmm. and um yeah and just sort of like a lot of the facts that it's had on people like I know my grandmother she did get 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 diagnosed with PTSD because like we saw like immediate uh react behaviors that just aren't known for her but yeah hmm. yeah so how uh, obviously this is these are experiences that are very foreign to me I've I've never had an experience like this and and so obviously the difficulties that you are that that you described uh, I'm sure had an impact like you said on your education and on the way you approach the education because you know if you don't have a computer you there are some things that you cannot do and you know your classes were not what they were supposed to be and so on so how did the um, communication between you students and your university, your teachers and so on, um, how did that work out? And, uh, you know, in an ideal case scenario, what do you think, um, what would you have liked to hear from your teachers to help you through this, uh, this kind of difficulties? Um. Well, I think because the teachers were going, going through it at the same time as us, you know, a lot of us are pretty open about it. Like, hey, we're all struggling. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, if you can't make it right now, I understand this is a very unprecedented event. And so a lot of the teachers were very, um, I can't think of the word right now, but I can't think of the word. 
<laughs> but a lot of them were they weren't yeah that's the word thank you but yeah so it wasn't a lot of it's like when they, when they're outside university they sort of understand like okay you may not be able to get the work done right away but um they was like hey you know library art not like library hours are open longer um if you need to talk to me you can come to my office hours and talk to me or talk to your classmates or TA or whoever um getting communications out sort of so university-wide was actually done a lot over the radio like they following the storms the university had a huge meet a meeting on campus and how that came out was that uh, it was actually a news sent out over the radio that hey to all universities to all current or prospective UBI students there's going to be a meeting at this time at this day at this location on hmm. campus and that's how we knew about it and so it's any major thing university it wasn't told word of mouth to your professors it was told over the radio yep and did you find that that preparation uh helped out a lot with uh the pandemic when basically I arrived there just as the pen um, shortly after the peak of the uh, first wave. So in August of 2020, and I remember being told I need to be really understanding um, because not only is this a global catastrophe, but for many of our students, it's the second or third catastrophe in a row. They're still recovering from the hurricanes and the resilience might not be there. Um, And did you find that when the pandemic came around, did you feel that the uni- university and the professors were better equipped or did you find that a lot of us were still struggling to, um, to cope with this changed world? Um, well, for me, I came to the university, come, came back to university, university at the same time you came to it. So I didn't, wasn't there for the initial reactions to it, but, what I remember, I think a lot of professors for the most part were ready preparedness-wise for the courses. And they sort of understand like, hey, you know, <laughs> it was actually pretty funny how a lot of the course professors like, hey, like this class is usually planned to be this way in person. Like around my theology, he would say that, you know, we would talk a lecture a little bit, then have a little bit of lab, and then a lecture a little bit and have a little bit of lab. But we can't do that online as smoothly. And so it was like, you can tell that there are some who are a little stuck in their ways and couldn't necessarily make the changes that would fit best for this distance way of learning. But I think for the most part, um, a lot of professors did adapt and find the best ways of getting the lessons across, especially because I didn't have a lot of lab courses. And so a lot of labs that were like done through sim- simulations or labs where it's like they would actually they would be in the actual laboratory showing us the specimens and like having us describe what we see or labs that would have us going out into the beaches on our own and sort of looking at what we're supposed to sort of look for like certain amount of shelves or an amount of like um not necessarily microfauna but like smaller marine organisms or in Dr. Herbisky's case are what he calls his trash trash can labs. Yeah, so I was going to ask, uh, <laughs> it sounds like you didn't appreciate me making you uh, dig through the trash to do your physics uh, labs. I did like it. I had fun with it. I think I was one of the few that had fun with it. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were fun for me because I got to see how far I could stretch my creativity and then it was uh, far more than I expected. So, 
All right. Well, um, that takes us um, to the end of our time together. So thank you so much for uh, the story of your journey into the sciences and especially the interesting perspective on uh, coping with disaster. And uh, it's encouraging to see that the disasters <laughs> haven't swayed you off a path of science. So uh, we'll probably chat again at some point once our uh, astrotourism projects start coming online so we can get some of our other colleagues and all of us could sit down and discuss how that project evolves. Yep. Thank you, Nikita. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So Lev, what do you think? What what do you think of the resilience that we have just heard of students who are in the sciences that despite everything that life throws at them, they stay in the sciences? Um, I consider myself pretty weak thinking I was going to drop out of the sciences because I got a 30% of my physics exam freshman year. So I uh, <laughs> kind of seeing what some of my students at, at UVI had to deal with and cope with, not just once, but like multiple times in a row across many years. It's, it's astounding. And I, I think it's a conversation that I think we should dig into a bit deeper because uh, one of the things that we're talking about in, in terms of uh, trying to figure out how we, uh, how we get more students into STEM and get a greater diversity of students into STEM, uh, a lot of them have to have quite a bit of resilience uh, to come into it because uh, they have to deal with like inequitable systems and social structures that they don't necessarily know how to, uh, uh, cope with and that people involved in those systems don't realize that they are participating in or perpetuating. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot to learn. And certainly being at UVI, physics isn't my field. And to be perfectly honest, it's not something I'm particularly interested in. But what I thought I would get out of the experience is not just relearning physics, which I don't feel I really learned in college, um, but uh, understanding how people working in an incredibly challenging environment cope with this and, and soldier on and, and, and get the work done anyway. And it leaves me really impressed with the people I worked with there and it left me impressed with all of my students um, knowing some of the struggles they had to go through. And I think it's really, um kind of eye-opening. And I wonder if it's something that could be sort of built into the system. When we become a faculty, of course, we are aware of you know, our own environment and our own path. Um, we know that there are different ones, but until you experience them, you don't fully understand how that works. And I'm thinking when you are a graduate student, in a lot of cases, you do rotations, right? In different labs, so you can get a sense of how different labs and how different sciences work. And I wonder if it could be possible for faculty to do something like that, to sort of do rotations in different environments so that you can actually um, learn how to be better at communicating with students that come from um, different, different paths of life. I really like that because isn't that sort of the point of a sabbatical that you get like once every seven years, like a Vulcan Ponfar? Right, exactly. <laughs> Except at the end, once you, you know, after seven years and then after 14 years, you have already gone through half of your career and you may have been lucky enough to experience two different environments. So it's something that should happen almost up front and not at the end. 
Yeah, and it's quite curious because I've inadvertently done that because I just wanted to see what was out there. One of my friends told me that you should experience these different environments if you want to know how to truly work with them. And so that's what I've been doing. It's difficult, but I've also found that it's made me a lot more marketable that I, I felt, especially when I was uh, applying to work at UVI, uh, people knew what I was doing. And so we're sending opportunities uh, my way uh, related to what I was trying to do. But then when I was talking to my prospective colleagues, they were also interested in the project and very interested in the perspective I was going to bring because of the places I was, I had been working in and where, where I was going to be working. Yeah. So, yep. Would you do that kind of rotation? I think I'm, honestly, yes. I would love that because I, I'm just amazed to hear all the different experiences that are out there. And I think about my own and it's, you know, it, it's fairly standard and it's kind of boring. And uh, I think it would make me a much better uh, teacher if I could relate to my students on also to a certain extent on a personal level. All right. I think that's a good thing for you to do now that you're in an, in an administration position uh, to push for uh, rotations. Uh, I, I know it's uh, common in, in a lot of different groups. I think that is an interesting concept. Well, yep. we'll see what okay. kind of response this gets uh, in a broader discussion if anyone's listen, still listening at this point. <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right. I think this is a good place for us to stop uh, for a, from a very interesting uh, topic discussion that we had today. Thanks again to Nikita Beck for joining us and we will see you in our next episode. Today's music is Marimba and Steel Drum by Julius H. from pixabay.com. You can learn more about the University of the Virgin Islands at www.uvi.edu. Global.Science is a production of Science Voices, a U.S. nonprofit organization. You can learn more about Nikita's work and our various astrotourism projects in the U.S. Virgin Islands as well as support them at www.sciencevoices.org projects.